That's your decision now, don't I? This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. Welcome to the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. It's been a while since Marty Scovland and I have sat down to uh, lay a little audio down, and we are joined by Mr. Jericho Denman. It's been a little bit of a busy past few weeks here. Um, Both these gentlemen went to Ukraine not too long ago, and then Jericho immediately rolled into Freefall School with the rest. So it's, it hasn't been a boring few weeks for, no. for you. And Marty's had a batch of interesting stuff going on with Coffee or Die too. So we're going to we're gonna talk about what it was like to be on the ground in Ukraine and kind of let these guys review and recap the trip a little bit. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> one of the places I'd kind of love to start there is just giving credit to the fact that we... Th- th- you saw the media mess that was over there, right, Jericho? Yeah. As soon as you get to Lviv, it's there, there's a reporter on every corner. A lot of it's super cringy, that sort of stuff. Air quotes, reporter. I, yeah. yeah. I just want to call attention to the fact that we've been covering this for, what, two plus years now? Yeah. Thanks in large part yeah. to Nolan Peterson. But for a lot of that time leading up to this, before it became like cool to cover Ukraine, cool to go to Ukraine— We've been we've been the subject matter experts on this, you know, yeah. like our publication. Like I, I am super proud of the fact that going into this, every other news outlet in the world was reaching out, being like, "Hey, what do we do here? What about this? Can we talk to Nolan? Can like like we were the ones leading the coverage going into this?" Yeah, when I when I rolled into uh, Lviv, where you know, again, air quotes, journalism was happening with a lot of like the bigger networks. And would meet these people. And like, normally you feel like, you know, somebody's little brother, I work for, you know, this smaller mm-hmm. thing. And you're like at ABC or NBC. And they're like, oh, wow. Yeah, no, no one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know. We've been following him. Like, he's great. Yeah. The you only know? thing that we could read about Ukraine was from you guys coming yeah. into this trip. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, looking at the the video that Nolan put together from the front lines before the actual invasion. Mm -hmm. Um, It was very clear and obvious in that video that the war started well before Russia, quote unquote, invaded, right? Like that just the situation and the the environment those guys were living in, like you got to go back and watch this video because it's such a good precursor now to where we are, where we are in the current situation of things. But like these Ukrainians are building trenches and they're on the front lines. And then they're also having to put up this net, which was a total mind fuck to me because all the Russians even then were flying drones with demo attached to them and flying drones into the, if that's not at war, I don't know what is. Yeah. yeah. And you go out and, and on my, my latest trip, when I'd go out and interview guys that were like, you know, in these territorial guard units that are, you know, a hodgepodge of different personalities and levels of experience. And, you know, you're talking to a guy one minute that it, there was a guy I was talking to who recognized the black rifle thing because he was a fucking barista. Mm-hmm. And then you talk to him, he's like really never picked up a gun in his life. And then another guy in his squad, like, was in the trenches for seven months straight in Donbass, like yeah. a salty ass motherfucker, yeah. you know, like in the, from the 2014. Uh, time period. So yeah, there, there has been, you know, and it, it goes to show you how new cycle affects things, right? Like, yes, they did do a full blown invasion this time, but like Russia has been like really fucking with the Ukraine for, I, I'm not good at math, you know, but since 2014, 2014 yeah. yeah, at least 
And I think that's what we look at, um, you know, going back. And I think this is an interesting thing to talk about. Like, how did we get here, right? Like, how did we get sure. to the point where, where it is this? <clears throat> you go all the way back to when they started pushing into Georgia in 2008, I think yeah. it was. And then into Crimea, taking that in 2014. There has been, you know, if you look at news reports from back around, like, let's say Y2K timeframe, 9-11 timeframe, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Russia's starting to kind of emerge out of the post-Soviet collapse and Putin's kind of seen as like this modern European leader, right? Like really seen. But you start to see it change. Like as you start to go through the aughts and then definitely once you get post-George, you're like, oh no, he's trying to rebuild the Soviet Union. Yeah. Like he's, or not necessarily maybe in name, but certainly in power. Absolutely certainly in spirit. In, yeah. 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 He's like, got dudes rolling into Moldova now. Yeah. Like he's, anything having to do with the Black Sea is like. Yep. And, and he, he sees it. it as, a, he's literally called it an existential threat to, to Russia to yeah. not take back, to not yeah. reestablish the Soviet Union. So you get to like, so how do we get here in 2022 where there's a full on conventional land invasion? of a modern European country. Like you, you go to Ukraine. Like I think people want to frame it in the same way that you do like some countries in the Middle East and stuff that maybe aren't as modern. It's a modern European country. Yeah, I mean- Like modern European. For me, one of the things that was just like, you know, when I talk about my past experiences in war, I'm always like, it's very contextual, right? Because you're in this very foreign place. Mm -hmm. Like you're in the Middle East, you're in Iraq, you're in Afghanistan, you're in Syria where- it's like, oh, this makes sense. This is what war looks like, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's in context. But then you're in you're in Kiev. Like I'm like, shit, man. Like I think back to um, right when I retired, I went on this long backpacking trip through Europe, and I remember like plotting my next stops, and like Kiev was one of them. Mm -hmm. I was like, maybe I'll go over there. Let's see what plane tickets cost. It's you know I bounced all around Eastern Europe, and it's like, and it looked exactly how I thought. It's a like Marty said, it's a modern, it, it, it's like being in Prague or, mm -hmm. or, you know, being in Berlin or Budapest, even Budapest, yeah. you know, uh, Bucharest, any of those like large Eastern European capital cities that are like beautiful. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, missiles are landing on it and shit. Yeah. So I mean, that was the wild. wild thing, even in Lviv, right? Where it's like, that's a, people literally call it like the Paris of the East. Like it's a beautiful city, that old town down there, but you're watching them construct sandbags and stuff around these statues. And you're like, <clears throat> I've always had a hard time trying to imagine, and I shouldn't, right? Because Iraq has uh, very important sites to like human history and so that have been destroyed, especially by ISIS. But it's still hard for me to understand how an army or a military or a country can destroy these things that are just important to humanity. I think about the Library of Alexandria burning down and like what knowledge must have been lost in that back in the day. You just, it's hard for me to wrap my head around being that soldier on the ground that's like, yep, let's fucking burn it down, you know? And you look at some of these sites now where this, uh, it's, you know, Lviv has this Austro-Hungarian architecture that's really unique and definitely there's a coffee shop on every corner. I mean, how many fucking coffee shops there? Yeah. You know, like it's insane. But at the same time, it's like, oh man. And then you're, these people are preparing for war, you know? Mm -hmm. And since we've left, they've obviously, things have escalated over in that part of the country. But, and then you push, the more you go east into that country, the more it's, yeah, beautiful country, all that sort of so stuff, but- so just seeing the juxtaposition of like modern Europe, European city against like preparing for war was just like astronomical. Well, I think what the big thing there is that like if we really peel the onion back is 
when you go to Iraq or Afghanistan or some of these other places or go to Africa or some other war-torn parts of the world, world. it's very different from where you live. It's very different from home. When you go to Ukraine and see that war, you're like, oh, this is like, like Lviv is not so different from Boston. Yeah. Yeah. And and where that really, like you said, like you get more and more East, like even in, like Kiev's definitely, it's like, you know, barricaded there it's getting hit by missiles there you you do occasionally hear small arms fire around but it's when you start to push out right and like for me when i was pushing out like to the north and and the northwest and to the northeast of kiev out by the line and like the further you get out it still looks like a modern european country but then you'll see Oh, there's a fucking blown up BMP on the side of the road. Yeah. You know, oh, like we just went through like six, you know, serpentines of fucking sandbagged bunkers. Um, and then, you know, you, you're rolling out and then there's a gas station that's like open. Yeah. And they have like <laughs> hot dogs and shit. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? It's like bizarro it's, world, but so you know, strange. It's so like, strange going to a gas station, buying a fucking soda and a Twix and like you can hear troops in contact. It's just fucking odd. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So what was it like to be like just moving from point A to point B once you get into Lviv, like moving east, what was that like? Um. Yeah, it's A... Ukraine is a fucking vast country. It's like, it's like, I try to explain to people, it's like if you take Texas and like took the top and the bottom and like squished them together and like spread it out lengthways, like yeah. that's kind of the size of Ukraine. So it's incredibly vast, right? So to drive from like Lviv to Kiev, I don't remember, it was like seven or eight hour drive. Yeah, it's... Um, I did it like, and when you're in Lviv, there's all these people, it's like, me and Marty talked. It's like the equivalent of when you're going to basic training and you're in like reception. Remember, I don't know if you had that. Mm-hmm. Marines, like you're not in basic training yet. You're just like getting issued your uniform. You're yeah. getting your haircut. Like, but everybody that's at reception, like if they've been there for three days and you've been there for one, they're like, oh yeah, let me tell you what's up, dude. Here's, here's <laughs> up. That is like how kind of Lviv was for me in the beginning. There's all these people there journalists, private security, NGOs, all these people who are telling you like what's what. In the rumor mill. In the rumor mill. Holy cow. I mean. Yeah. So I, you know, was in a hotel. It was like all journalists, you know, and then plus their their private security. Um, So you'd have some private security guys are not as created equal with others. There's some very competent people and then there's some kind of shysters, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And you talk and you're like, hey, we're pushing to Kiev. And they're like, oh, man. Like, mm-hmm. you talk to one guy. He's like, don't drive out there. No matter what you do, you drive out there, you're going to get fucking, your car's going to get just fired up. You're going to get killed. And you talk to another, you're like, oh, I think I'm going to take the train out to Kiev. Oh, you don't want to take the train. You don't want to go out there that way. They're going to, there's reports they're going to start strafing trains because that's how they're getting relief out. So Did I just, they do that? Did they strafe trains? No. There has been one train station attack so far. Well, yeah, train station. Station, attack. not like... Yeah, yeah. train station. Well, are yeah. the trains still running? Yep. Yep. Oh, really? Yeah. Reduced capacity, I think, but yeah, yeah you can still... And, you know, that for me was like, on the way, like I ended up taking the train to Kiev. It's like an overnight train. You know, it's like an old... It's an Eastern European train. It's how they all were like, when I've been on vacation, they're taking trains around. It was the same. Um, 
there were some subtle differences. Like they were like crazy about like you couldn't turn your lights on in the cars. You had to keep the shades down. Like little mm-hmm. weird stuff. It was yeah. like basically blacked out. Um, and there were certain parts like as you get as you near Kiev, like to the west of it, the train would just like slow down to a fucking crawl. And I think they thought they were like being stealthy or something. I'm like, train tracks don't move, guys. Like they know where the fucking trains are going. (laughs) You know, it was a lot of people just kind of trying to figure it out. So, you know, what should have been like, you know, a four and a half to six hour train ride was like 11 hours, you know? Um, So that was really it. But then there there was a large thud leaving Lviv and then showing up in Kiev. It was like... You know, when I left Lviv with you, we were starting to kind of see a little bit of the on-edge stuff. Like, soldiers would stop we you. We got and there right you. before it started to really the the tone really started to shift. Yeah. So when I you know left that, it was like, like do not point your fucking camera at shit unless you talk to people there. Like every at every turn, you're going to get stopped. You're going to get questions. You're going to have to show your creds. Like it was like whoa there's a motherfucking war here, you know? Yeah. And everybody within the city center is like hyper alert, hyper vigilant to espionage, saboteurs, you know, and and like legit attacks. And also at a certain point, people trying to desert the military, which that became a thing. Uh, if you yeah. looked like you were a military-aged male that looked like, you know, me or Jericho yeah. or, or, or Josh, you know, and you're rolling around, it's, there was a few times where I had to really talk, you know, the, their kind of special police that they have there into the fact that like, no, really, we're just journalists here. Like, let me, you know, that uh, MOD uh, credential that we got really helped the Ministry of Defense media credential. But like, it, it really started to turn into, you were trying to justify yourself multiple times a day by the time you left. Jericho, do you feel like because you're a talker and you look a little bit more official in how you carry yourself that they weren't quite as suspicious of you because you just looked like you were there on official business? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 A tuck. I concur. Imperative. It seemed every every photo I saw that was you were always tucked. Like, yeah, I the mean. Discipline never stops. Yeah. Discipline doesn't take a break. No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's still wild to me that you guys went over there and did this with how fucking violent the whole situation was. Like, I remember, and it's so interesting to like be watching a war on social media from the other side of things now to like be like, it's on fucking TikTok. Like the war's on TikTok, everybody. Like, yeah, we just never kind of expected to consume a conflict this way. And then it was happening everywhere very, very quickly. And then there was this this part, like I remember consciously thinking, and I, and I think you guys were already in the process of going, but like fucking missiles everywhere. Everything was being shot down. Like there was just nothing in the air, it seemed like after a while. Or if it was in the air, it was on fire shortly. And in yeah. that's like just the prospect of that stuff coming from the air all the time is like, there's not, like you can't be that fucking safe at all, period. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is a thing that like when, you know, Marty and I talk to people are like, oh, but, and it, but it's funny how it kind of lines up with just how people, people want to make things okay. You know, like 
So even when I talked to people about Iraq, Afghanistan, when I was going there or, or after I'd come back, they'd be like, yeah, but you're not like, you're not like doing, yeah, what the fuck do you think I'm doing? And it was the <laughs> same like with Ukraine. People were like, oh, but you're, it's, and I'm like, no, man, like it's fucking thing. like, they're shooting cruise missiles at the fucking city I'm in. Like there's, there's, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's dangerous as fuck. You know, like I don't tell mom that, but everybody else, I'm like, what are you talking about? Do you think there's like a safe space that everybody goes to at night or like, I don't get it. Yeah. And I think, uh, that's like the strange part about it is even trying to convince yourself not to lull yourself into a sense of security because, just because you don't have rounds snapping over your head or there's not, again, I think as we got used to a, a prominent IED threat or something like that, like you feel safe relatively, you know, driving around the roads and stuff. You're not thinking about that sort of stuff. But just the threat of like, hey, you know, one of these cruise missiles can land anywhere, you know? Like yeah. it, it's, the, the, and also just, hey, the threat from Ukrainians as far as being suspicious of people. You might have a van pull up and fucking you get thrown in the van. Like there's this gray zone sort of, I've never been to a place before where I've uh, I've either been completely definitely in danger or definitely not in danger. Like it, it's very binary. I, I felt like in my head, this is the first place that I've been to where I was like, I don't know, like I'm getting a pour over in the morning and eating a macaroon and <laughs> like, but also, you know, we found out like the Russians are specifically nowhere here. And also like a cruise missile just hit the airport, like on the outskirts. Like there were things where it's like, should I be as comfortable as I am right now? Like it, yeah. it's, it's yeah, strange. It's, well, I'm sure most people aren't comfortable at all in that situation, but yeah, you, for you sure. guys are, are for sure a little bit different when it comes to yeah, that. It was, like. it was funny. Like when I was uh, about to leave, Lviv, uh, you know, it, when you're in and around all these other journalists, you you get to see like their habits. And I saw it a little bit with with HKIA stuff, but man, it's like it's 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 kind of like finding out Santa Claus isn't real kind of scenario because you see <laughs> you see like you know I think I was walk it was the night before I was gonna go out to the east and I was going to meet Marty. I was with uh, Jane Ferguson and we were walking and walking, we see this reporter, they call them stand-ups. It's where they take their camera guy out and they fucking set it up and they get a cool background. And you see all these journalists out there doing these stand-ups with like their body armor and their helmet. And they're like, oh, reporting from... And I'm like, we're about to go get like dinner. You know, like, yeah. and, and there's people yeah. that You're are like... You're like standing behind a camera with your coffee cup, just like... Uh, yeah, yeah, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's also just one of those things where, you know, me and Marty talk about it often. It's just like how... I don't want to say misleading, but just like the news and the way, you know, big networks conduct well, themselves. Let's and, be fair here. If you're putting a plate carrier on when there's no need, no need to put a plate carrier on, then that's misleading. Yeah, and yeah. I did that one time in Afghanistan. The first time I ever did an embed, or I felt like I wasn't doing it right if I if I'm in Afghanistan and I don't have a plate carrier on. And I did that one time, and I felt ridiculous as soon as I did it. Yeah. And I like I was like, no, this is fucking dumb. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I, I realized on the uh, the Ukraine trip that wearing a helmet is up is my choice now. So yeah. I I never wore a helmet just because yeah, I'm stupid. That didn't get worn very often. I mean. The only thing that like that, that style of, and I said this when I was still in Ranger Regiment, when we got ops course, I was like, so if I get shot at by a guy in a hot air balloon from straight above, this is totally going to protect me <laughs> because those fucking helmets don't do shit. They don't cover anything. 
they cover like your forehead to here, like an inch above your eyebrows, and then like down to the back of your neck. Like, I'll, I'll take my chances there. Whatever. If I'm not hanging nods on it, then like there's no reason for me to wear it. Devil's advocate. If I a do wall have a falls that on shot you, in the head and it saved it's not life, just so. for bullets. Though. Was it? Was it? Was it a? Was it the little half shell? Helmet? No, it was like it was a Mitch helmet. Yeah, it was a Mitch. Those those do stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I'm talking like the helmet I had. Oh. It's like the little ops core. I'm like, this isn't really doing oh, anything yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. And you, um, a couple, you showed me a video of a couple of the reporters that got into a fairly dicey situation at a checkpoint. And then you were yeah. kind of within close proximity to a couple other situations there. But part of that moving across the country, primarily just vehicle, is having to deal with these checkpoints everywhere. Yeah. I mean, that was for, for me when I was out in Kiev and Mikhailov and around Odessa, like a thousand percent, I was more scared of Ukrainian checkpoints and Ukrainian units than I was of Russian indirect fire missiles or direct fires. Like, because, you know, <clears throat> it was like the, maybe my second day in Kiev. I don't remember. We were heading up to Irpin, which is like where all the heaviest fighting was happening at the time. Going out to Irpin, get to this last checkpoint, and we just get like, fuck, crazily slacker. No fucking reporters, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so we stop. It's kind of a, a choke point. It's like the last, sort of the last choke point into Irpin. And uh, so we're like, there's a lot of activity here. Let's stop and like see what's going on. Like this, if we can't go forward, let's see why. And we get out to start kind of like, you know, digging into things. There's a lot of like, you know, refugees there or people that have just escaped Irpin. Um, and uh, right where we turn around and kind of park, I look over and there like a van comes in. I think it was an ambulance, but like my memory is foggy on it. But like van comes in, they pull a guy out some Ukrainian like kind of EMT looking guys start working on this dude. And uh, I'm like, oh, somebody just got fucking tuned up up there, whatever. And it turned out to be Brent Renaud, the, the American documentary filmmaker. And like the, he expired right there. Like, you know, he died like right in front of me. But like, I think, you know, I didn't see him get shot up, but it was like between 500 and 1,000, you know, meters away from our where we were. Um, yeah, so... He was killed. I think a couple other members of his party were shot. And, you know, of course, at, at the time, the Ukrainians were like, be sure and show this, that the Russians are killing reporters and blah, blah, blah. And at the time, I'm like, fuck, man. Like, they must have, like, targeted his car. You know, because it said press on it and stuff. But, you know, you peel the onion back a little bit. And then, again, I was Did you have there. press on the vehicles you were traveling in? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. How, how would you mark them? So you do, like... Everybody there kind of marked everything in blue or yellow, like the colors of the Ukrainian flag. Yeah. So like you just got a bunch of like, and we kind of figured that out before we left. So we got a bunch of blue and a bunch of yellow, like electrical tape mm -hmm. and just wrote press on the side of our, any vehicle we were in, <laughs> in blue and yellow uh, electrical tape. So shiesty. One thing that they figured out too uh, is there's, a, especially European media outlets were putting TV on the sides of their vehicles to mark that they were a TV crew or something like that. Well, TV is like a marking that the Russian military units were using. Yeah. So that was like, hey, do not mark your vehicles with TV. Use, mm -hmm. put Pre specifically press yeah. on there. 
Yeah, and that was one of the fucking things where like people, you know, because we were reporting largely, like you said, through social media and people would kind of like, you know, you're pretty dumb for not writing, having a plate carrier that says press in like Russian. And it's like, dude, that's like, it's like a red cross or a stop sign. It's universally known mm. symbol, right? Like they don't have to be able to read the letters to know that that means press. You know what I mean? Like stop signs everywhere say stop on them, even, yeah. even though you know, it's a universal thing. But yeah, like I, as the, everybody peeled the onion back on that incident with him. It was like, it became like, no one's ever said it, mm-hmm. but it's become glaringly obvious to me that they were, they were shot up by a Ukrainian checkpoint. You know, and that I don't think it was shot up like on purpose. Like, I don't think it was with ill intent, but you have, you know, like if today, if we decided to barricade San Antonio, there's not enough people who are well-trained to man every checkpoint at every intersection. And that's literally what it is. There's somebody sitting at every fucking intersection. So there's about a lot of dudes out there, Ukrainians that just got handed an AK and that's it. Yeah. So they're just doing their best. And that's fucking war. I mean, can you imagine that's, Joe Schmo from the fucking Kinkos manning a fucking checkpoint all of a sudden in the United States? Like, and of course he's going to Like, this mistakes. isn't a thought exercise. That's literally what is happening. Right. Like, that's literally what is... <laughs> yeah. Like, people have this romantic idea of war, and it's like, no, this is really what it looks like. Like, I mean, whatever you do, whoever you're listening to today, whatever your normal mundane fucking office job is, or you show up to your mechanic shop or whatever, like... If tomorrow, like your your city starts getting hit by cruise missiles, there's fucking tanks on the horizon, and hey, go fucking do your duty. Yeah, send the women and children fucking west and go do your duty. Yeah, like that's literally, it's fucking wild to think about. Yeah, and and for me again, like talking about danger for for us, it was like, think about you know if you're listening now, think about the biggest dipshit you know, right, or biggest asshole you know, or biggest like narcissistic fucking weirdo you know now think about that person on a checkpoint somewhere in your town with a gun yeah. with the power to let people with a little come bit and go. of power and a automatic weapon exactly yeah so and amplify that by thousands of people yeah so, yeah and also yeah. a little this underlying fear like for a lot of these people they're watching their their city you know go through this thing that they probably never thought was going to happen again you go back and look at some of our reporting out of Kiev prior to the invasion and people are kind of like, nah, it's not, they, people didn't believe that this would actually happen. You know, the people were making preparations, but they didn't actually think it would go this far as to where like Kiev would be getting hit. Like, oh, would they push in further into the Donbass or take, you know, take Mariupol or something like that, which shit, they still haven't entirely taken yeah. Mariupol. But like, yeah. it's, you know, that, that was kind of the attitude there. The idea that troops would be coming down through Belarus and, would, you know, this total total war sort of uh, thing. Like, most of them didn't think that that would happen. You yeah. know, all the way up into the actual invasion happening. Yeah. It, it, even being there and see it, it, it was still, like, unbelievable. Like, to see, you know, squads of dudes on, like, BMPs rolling around in this, like, it was like, what the fuck is going yeah. on here? And this is where yeah. I'll kind of plug our... Um, should have had our new magazine sitting out on the table here. But that was, you know, we made a uh, really conscious decision at the last minute to change our cover story of the spring coffee die issue to be centric on Ukraine. And, you know, Nolan, to his credit, shit out like a 5,000 word cover story over a weekend, uh, you know. But it's when you read that, it talks about 
what it was like ramping up to this, the people that were preparing, what they were doing, and the people that didn't think it would happen, what they were doing. And it's kind of a cautionary tale, I think, for a lot of people in America who... Oh, yeah, sweet. Yeah, so new issue of Coffee or Die here. Uh, This cover story, you know, at the time we had to send this cover off to print, uh, have we already entered the next Cold War? You know, I think we could probably drop cold from that, you know, by the time time this actually came out. It's hot war. Yeah. And then the hot war. Um, But... You know, it's kind of a cautionary tale there for a lot of people. I, I, you know, I don't want to be seen as a person that's like, oh, we're next. You know, like there's going to be Russian forces on our beaches, you know, landing at Miami Beach. Like I'm, I'm not saying that, but I think people should be cognizant of the fact that, hey, if it can happen in some of these other places, it can happen anywhere. Well, yeah. And it, you know, it, th- this could very well be 1939 Poland. And it brings certain issues to light in certain ways. Like, Nobody in Ukraine is talking about gun control right now. No. They're not really thinking about they're that. Trying to get more. Yes. They're trying to get more. Mm-hmm. Trying yeah. to get a lot of weapons. Yeah. And what well, we kicked out. Probably a lot of people that were wishing that they knew how to use a gun. Yeah. Prior yeah. to two months ago. Yeah. Yeah. But you what know. what was your guys' experience with, you know, aside from the, some of the chaos of the checkpoints and movement, like what was the some of the characteristics of the Ukrainian people? Like, who did you guys interact with? What were they like? Uh, What kind of resolve did they have about the whole thing in general? Yeah, I mean, you know, so the Ukrainians, like, and and a lot of the reason that, like, I ended up pulling off and Marty pulled off, it was, like, access there was insanely hard to get through the MOD, through the military. Um, I made it out to the line once. And there was nothing really going on out there. Like it was the line, but you know, there was, there was fighting going up on up the line, down the line. But, um, that for me was like, holy shit. Like the people that I came in contact with were just tight fucking lipped. It was, it reminded, I was like, oh, this is a former Soviet state. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like they know how to keep their fucking mouth shut. Um, and that was in large part, you know, like the military. Now we talk, you know, you pull back off the line a little bit, you get into these, some of these territorial defense units, you know, um, their resolve is insane. Like one of the units that I'm still working a piece for, uh, they were called the honor battalion and they're like all former vets of like the 2014 war, um, guys who have like, they've, they've built this unit out, which is, I guess now it won't probably be used, but they specifically formed this unit as a counter insur- or as an insurgency. Like they started training to be insurgents in Kiev in the event that Kiev fell. Mm-hmm. Um, so those guys were just like, all of them I talked to, they're like, yeah, I'm probably going to die here. That's, that's cool. Whatever. Like they didn't say that's cool. They're just like, yeah, I'm probably going to die here. Fuck it sucks. But like, I'm not leaving. This is my home. And I'm like, yeah. I'm gonna defend it to the death. And it was, they meant it. Solemn and, duty. Like yeah. you can, throughout, anybody you talk to, there definitely seems to be a trend of like solemn duty. Even the people fleeing the country. Definitely, it was like, this is the pragmatic thing to do. I have a child. I need to like, but it wasn't like a running scared sort of mentality. Like, And that's one thing I'll say, even at the, when you cross the border back into Poland, you're in line with all the other refugees and stuff. It is a nice orderly line. Yeah. There's somebody walking around with a, with a broom and a little broom catch, whatever you call those things, you know, sweeping up trash, like nice, orderly, 
you know, yeah. nobody acting fucking crazy. It like was, it's there. Uh, I think about um, so that that uh, rocket attack or missile attack that happened right. Uh, what was it? Ten kilometers from the Polish border on that military base. It killed thirty five Ukrainians, injured one hundred and thirty four, and most of them were from that Lviv, Greater Lviv area. So a bunch of the funerals were happening there. We're standing at one of the funerals happening. They're carrying the caskets in. It's they start in the ceremony and everything. And air raid sirens start going off. Like everybody standing there didn't move a muscle or anything like that. A few people started crying because it's obviously they're probably maybe loved ones there. And it's like, hey, that's probably the last thing these guys getting buried right now heard was air raid sirens, you know? And so a very eerie thing. <clears throat> but like not a single person moved. They all still stood there and paid their respects. Nobody went running for cover or anything like that. It was... You know, and in the same days that those attacks happen, you still see parents walking around with their kids and stuff like people are they're vigilant, bordering on paranoia. Maybe paranoia is the better word in a lot of instances, but not scared. Yeah. Not that I saw. They weren't visibly scared. Yeah. And <clears throat> this was the uh, Ukraine was the second time I got to be a refugee because I had to leave HKIA as well. <laughs> but I, I just... I, I made mental note of that same thing. I'm like, these people are running from literally the Russian horde and they're being polite to each other. They're mm -hmm. being, they're being human with each other. Whereas in like outside the gates in, in, uh, in Kabul, you saw, you know, people were trampling each other and just fuck, the worst of human nature came out. Whereas with this, it was like, you know, people were offering their seats to each other. People were mm -hmm. offering each other food. Like, you know, uh, the other thing that we kind of jumped out at me was when we got to Kiev, we're like, you know, we had a, a Ukrainian fixer with us who was kind of like, hey, here's where we can get this. Here's where we can get that. And he's like, I know of, you know, one big store that's open. If we should probably go get a bunch of food in case, you know, shit is fan. Like, yeah, obviously. So let's go. We get to this grocery store. It was like a big grocery store. I don't know what I would liken it to like a Walmart, you know, and there was no hoarding. Like there was stuff, you know what oh. I mean? And it wasn't because supply chain is great. It's because people went, they bought what they needed and that's they were it. Considerate. They didn't hoard stuff. I was like, fuck man, we're worse than at this when, when, when COVID hit and people were hoarding shit. Like, and was that all just by their own proxy or was yeah. it actually yeah. regulated? No, there was no regulation oh, on that stuff. The only thing that was really yeah. regulated was the curfew. Yeah. The curfew yeah. was like, that's a hard stop. Like you're, you're going inside, yeah. you know? How much was going on at night that you could tell? Not much. Um, <laughs> there at night, the only thing that would happen, like in Kiev at night, it was loud. There was just, Tons of fire, but it was all anti-missile and aircraft fire. So like just there was one spot like from my where I was staying, if you looked out to the like northwest, it looked like 4th of July, like all night. But it was just like anti-missile defenses, just basically making an iron curtain to to stop rockets and missiles. Yeah. Um, but as far as like fighting goes, like troops on the ground fighting. There really wasn't any because I don't... Like, the Ukrainians I talked to, um, they're not... like Other than soft forces, Ukrainians are not comfortable under night vision or, or they don't even really have it. Mm. Same, with, same with most of the Russians. So fighting largely stopped at night other than indirect fire. The Russians rockets. don't have night vision. So we just put out a story the other day about how... Uh, so Google 
unpixelated a bunch of the military installations on Google Maps in Russia. So now you can clearly see their military installation stuff. I guess uh, they have a bunch of like foam airplanes sitting out that are just literally for show so that if somebody does see it from satellite, it looks like they have a bunch of things. I don't think that there's a bigger example of a paper tiger in yeah. human history. This, uh, it's, which might explain some of Putin's actions if he's scared. Mm-hmm. And he's like, if we don't take these key strategic parts, like Russia's going to continue to go down. My, yeah. My kind of opinion is that like he was fooled mm-hmm. like that. He, and it goes to show you like why the Soviet Union failed, why communism and like hardline socialism, why they fail, because no one can give their boss bad news. Right. Like you can't yeah. come to your boss and be like, eh, we're kind of having a problem getting. Here's my next soapbox. Yeah. Why you need a fourth estate in your country. Why freedom of the press is a constitutional right. Because when the people in the government aren't telling the truth, you need somebody that holds them accountable and does put the truth out there. Russia probably wouldn't be in this situation if they had a press that held their military accountable. Yeah. So you have like, you know, all these people pulling the wool over each other's eyes. It's compartmentalized because Putin's fucking, because Putin is so scared of like a coup or like a hostile takeover or whatever. Like he compartmentalizes all of his military leadership. So then they're like, oh, they can't like come together as a group and solve problems. So now it's less like, this is what you get. Mm -hmm. And Marty's right, man. Like that's something I'm still like all my life. I'm like, Soviet Union or Russia. That is, that's the other, you know, you think back to Red Dawn, like two biggest bullies on the block, they're going to fight someday. Well, like now we've just, you know, Russia got Ralphie, like mm-hmm. the bully from Christmas Story that got beat up by Ralphie. That's Russia right now. Like, what's his name? Fergus something. Scott Fergus, the bully from Christmas Story. Like that's <laughs> Russia. Mm-hmm. We, they just got exposed as being like, not shit. If and, they had not done this, the world would have went on trying to like tiptoe around them, like, hey, let's not make Putin too mad. You know, we don't want to... Now I think everybody's kind of like, everybody that is is his opposition is like, oh yeah, we're definitely not afraid of him now. Outside of like the nuclear threat, of course, but like outside of that, and then even his allies are starting to kind of distance themselves because they're like, I don't, I we are not saddled up with the the cowboy we thought we were saddled up with. Even China, which I'm sure it was just like their public facing versus how they truly feel. But even China was like... Putin. Yeah. Now, do you, there was a lot of talk about like some of the initial Russian soldiers uh, making it into Ukraine that they didn't know that they were going to war and that they thought they were on a training mission. Like, do you think that's true? I, yeah. 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 I, I think that if they did, if they didn't think it was a training mission, I think that they did definitely think that the Ukrainians wanted them there. Yeah. I think that they thought they were on some sort of a rescue mission. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, A lot of them legitimately thought the country had been t- taken over by Nazis. Yeah. Like legitimately thought that. Yeah. Yeah. And they took, you know, they took all their phones. They let, you know, so down to the, like the shitty Russian conscript level, like they're just, they're just pawns in this the, shit. And all yeah. the proof that you need really is just seeing how they conducted those first couple days of the invasion where they came in like they were, I mean, they rolled in like they would be welcomed with open arms. Yeah. Like that's all the proof that I really needed to see is like, oh no, they really believed that they were coming in as, you know, they thought it was either training or they, or, or they thought, whatever it was, they thought it was, it was not reality. Yeah. They yeah. weren't, they weren't 
spoken to truthfully about yeah. what the fuck was going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the information flow, like the just siloing of information, even with, even to the fucking tactical level was amazing. Like one of my first days I talked to, uh, a general who's basically like, like this general's basically in charge of like the Northern sector of Kiev's defenses. And I met him at their airport, which was fucking wild. Like I wasn't allowed to take pictures of any of this shit, but like being a, an airborne ranger and like my whole career being like airfield seizure centric, like going to a modern airport that had been, they tried to seize it. The Russians mm-hmm. tried to fucking seize this thing, like much like we would have and got fucking their shit pushed in and pushed off of it. Was this the, and those were their Spetsnaz? elite. Yeah. It was the VDV or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they were commandos. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but anyway, we're like, you know, it was like my first couple of days there. And remember, if you guys remember back to like the 40 kilometer long convoy, mm-hmm. right? So we ask him like, hey, well, are you concerned with this convoy that like they're doing a big buildup? They're getting ready to do a push. He's like, <laughs> he like laughed. He's like, that's just where all their trucks are running out of gas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, and it's all in the same spot because they all left from the same place with the same full tank of gas. So they're all just like stacking up in this one spot. The dudes are getting out and being like, eh. And like walking off. <laughs> it's so hilarious. Like you can't even make this up. Yeah. Like it's insane. Yeah. I I don't even know. Like the the logistical failure there is. Yeah, and it's just again, it's like none of those none of those commanders were like, "Hey, I can only get this far on that much gas," because they don't want to say that. Because then they'll be like, "Oh, if you can't make it further, we'll find someone who can." You know, yeah. you're going to go to the gulag or whatever. So they're like, "I just won't say anything." And then, and one of the other things that they did too, to where a lot of the news of these casualties and stuff aren't reaching St. Petersburg or Moscow, a lot of these are conscripts from, I mean, Russia is a vast country. Yeah. They're, they're, they're getting pulled from different ethnic minority groups. There's, you see a lot of these Russian soldiers, they look Asian and that sort of stuff. Like they're pulling people that are not where their main seat of power is. Because, you know, I mean, there's wide ranging estimates out there that I think are all probably just guesses at best uh, mm-hmm. as far as how many Russians have been killed. But it is definitely, I think, safe to say more than 10,000, you know, more than we've lost in Iraq and Afghanistan. If those were coming primarily from St. Petersburg and Moscow, that Western Russian area, there would probably be a lot different attitude in Russia right now. But there's not. Like you see the interviews coming out of there. Russians largely support Putin, yep. you know, and, and, and this war effort. Yeah, it's, it's against... You only know what you know. And Marty know though, that like freedom of the press is what a pillar of like, it, it saves the country because it makes, makes it so people know what's going on. Or at least they can, you know, in our case in the United States, like if you only pick one news outlet, you probably don't know what's going on. You'd know what yeah. they're telling you. But because we have the freedom to go out and like suck down our information from anywhere we want in as many different places, we can form our opinions like where they don't, you know, and it's, it's not that I empathize with them, but it's like, you don't know what you don't know, you know? So. I and it's from, at least from all appearances, it's very clear that they're scooping up anybody that's protesting whatsoever oh, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in the slightest. They're Zero just, tolerance. They're, yeah. There's yeah. just none. There's, they do not allow it. Old ladies, kids, like zero tolerance. Yeah. And, and, you know, that that even extends, like, there's no fucking freedom of the press in Ukraine either, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how many times I went into areas and 
the guy who spoke English would be like, there's no freedom of the press here. This isn't America. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, cool. Congratulations. Like, you're not going to men and black me when I leave. I'm going to fucking remember this and I'm going to write about whatever the fuck I want. So that, that was like this, the trip to Ukraine, like also showed me, I'm like, holy fuck, this is what it's like to not have freedom. Right? Like I can be like, you know, when I would travel around places, I'm like, anytime anybody who wants can just ball me up, flex cuff me, throw me in a fucking room and I'll never be seen or heard from again. And there's nothing I can do about it. That is like, that speaks to this larger, like even when you're, again, it's not round snapping over your head. It's this weird gray area in between safe and not safe that you kind of have to get used to living in while you're there. That was really, I don't think I realized like that underlying stress that was there until you cross back into Poland and you kind of feel like that, kind of like you took the ruck off, you know? Right. And I like I felt like my brother Josh, who was with us, he felt it too. He was like, "Oh shit, I didn't even realize." Like, yeah, wow, yeah. You just get back to a place where, like, okay, I'm, you know, not at least I, there's not going to be a van that pulls up and throws me into it. Yeah, you know? and fuck, I had I don't know if I've told you guys this story about me, uh, our fixer Jane, and then her cameraman. We were driving in Kiev. We're driving, trying to find. Because they would also just like put up Jersey barriers, like you mm-hmm. navigating around was weird. Um, so we're just trying to find a way onto this bridge, like because everything had been barricaded off, and we're driving down just this like totally side street. And um, the camera guy, he had uh, like one of those little tiny little gimbal cameras, mm-hmm. you know, and he was just fucking with it, like because we're on our way somewhere. He's like prepping his shit. And we're driving and he's just like looking down at the same. And then we like kind of notice we look up and there's like fucking two like civilian cars, but like just like coming up and like the fixers like stop, 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 stop to the driver. We stop and dudes come out like at the fucking ready, pull us out of the car, like fucking hands on your heads, blah, 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 blah. Well, like we had driven by basically like an OP, like a hide site. And they saw a guy on like a little camera fucking around uh, the yeah. front seat. And they were like, uh, oh, there's somebody uh, uh. fucking, there's saboteurs collecting on us or whatever. So yeah, they like pulled us out. A dude charged his fucking AK in my face. And I was like, you know, you can be as badass as you want, but you have six dudes pointing fucking AKs at you. You're not going to survive that scenario. Right. Mm-hmm. And then like, additionally, I'm like, let's say I can, right. Let, let's say I like Jason Bourne, one dude fucking take him, shoot the other dudes. I could do that probably. But like, then I'm, I'm also, if you're tucked, if you're tucked, if you're tucked, but like I'm running through these fucking scenarios in my mind. I'm like, then I'm dead. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, this very conspicuous looking American dude just smoked fucking four of our dudes or whatever. Six of our dudes. There's no, I'm fucked. You're not getting out of the situation, you know? So like, again, like, yeah, you, you you nailed it. Like there's this feeling the entire time of like, I could be mm. fucked. Like as soon as seconds. we crossed in, we had to, when we crossed the border, we ended up walking across and uh, had to walk about three kilometers into a gas station where we were going to get met by somebody that was going to take us to Lviv and this whole thing. As soon as you cross over, it's like you're immediately seeing people like Molotov cocktails on the street that they're prepping and, and all that sort of stuff. And you walk further, there's little 
you know, uh, you know, two or three guys around a trash can keeping warm, you know, but like, you know, rifles over their shoulders. There's a fire like, in the trash can. Yeah. Yeah. Did I, what did I say? You said just stand around a trash can keeping warm. Like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> but we get like a K into it and you, it, it's like literally this feeling like the hills have eyes and this is yeah. not, you're not even that far into Ukraine yet. You're like a K into, into Ukraine and, um, and, and then all of a sudden you have a car that comes up and pulls right in front of us and and the guys that get out and want to see your papers and all that other stuff. And this is like our first half hour in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And that was my first kind of like introduction to like, oh, wow, yeah. Like I felt like the hills have eyes. They do. Yeah. They 100% do. Like they're watching us. They, they're making calls. Like they have guys that are ready to come out and interdict. And yeah. Yeah, I took, when I was going to that meeting with that general at the airport, like we were sitting there waiting for a call to like get this guy who was going to link up with us and then like kind of take us through the security at the airport to get us in and and talk to him. And like, no one around, no one around. We're sitting in this fucking, like basically like the cell phone lot, I guess you would call it for, I look around, there's fucking nobody. And then there was a bunker that was like built. And I was like, that's cool. I'm going to take a picture of that. And I just like, Bam, like fucking three seconds later, there's a guy like, hey, fuck, like, don't take pictures of fucking blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Jesus, you know, it was, it was, yeah, Hills Have Eyes is a good way to look at it. But it, it also, you know, in what I wrote, I'm like, and the, the Russians have pulled out now, like, there is no fucking way, unless you just wanted to kill everybody, mm. there's no way anybody could have taken that city. Like, on the world stage. Like, I mean, it's the same thing they're doing. It's the same thing that's happened in Mariupol, right? Like, they have this have, lone steel factory that's holding out about a thousand people. Yeah, it's like, you're just, you gotta just kill a bunch of people to do mm-hmm. it because they have made it so you have to fight for every fucking inch. Um, but, you know, something I want to bring up about Mariupol and, you know, like we've said that the Ukrainians are incredibly tight-lipped, but I'm like, where the fuck is the rest of the Ukrainian military? Like, why aren't they trying to break through? Why aren't they trying to form some kind of a, a, a lifeline? And, you know, it's where I get into like weird conspiracy theories and stuff. And it's not a conspiracy theory, but it's like, Mariupol has now become this like thing that the that the Ukrainian machine is is like this is our these are our champions right it's almost like a Stalingrad mm-hmm. like scenario mm-hmm. where it's like uh, and it's like why aren't they applying like strategic pressure to get to break these people out and I don't know the fucking answer but it seems weird to me there might be, I think, with limited resources there, I think that there's probably a sense among the Ukrainian military that they don't want to move people too much because if they move and leave defenses, they're exposing themselves and they may lose more than, yeah. you know, I think that there's probably, whether that's a, you know, a re- real or perceived, you know, perception is reality, right? And I think that they may be perceiving it that way of like, we've got people distributed across the country that keeps everything mostly kind of like it's working so far, let's not fuck with it. Yeah. Yeah, the whole Mariupol thing, man, that's it's rough. Yeah, There's, and again, we've got videos of what Mariupol looked like before the invasion. Like we've got, that's where Nolan was down at in that video you were talking about. That's right in the area he was, you know. Um, again, normal city, like you t- you t- take the train down there, you take the bus down there, yeah. whatever, like it's, yeah. you know. 
yeah, there's like, <laughs> there's fucking McDonald's there. You know, like that mm-hmm. was, that yeah. was one of the things that stood out to me too, is like driving around. There's like, there's a McDonald's. It's all boarded up and fucking got sandbags in front of it and shit. Like yeah. fucking wild. And on that note, so speaking of like, let's just assuming that this war all, you know, gets, comes to some sort of amicable end that results in Ukraine still being free and all that sort of stuff. Uh, sufficient time to rebuild certain things. Dude, Ukraine's a fucking rad place. Yeah. Like hundred percent, 10 out of 10 on Yelp. Like, 100% recommend as long as like you're not getting stopped every 10 minutes for your like no. it's really fucking cool I sent you that video Logan of we found this coffee place with these like underground things where they, awesome. they make fire coffee and like dude it's fucking cool like it really is like it's a it's a cool place yeah I do I do say I will say like much like in anywhere there's like there's Ukraine and then there's like Lviv and Kiev. Right? The 100%. Like I went to some spots that I was like, "Oh, man, this place is a fucking shithole." Yeah. Like like uh Mikliev, like it was like this is weird. Like it it, it gets like very You could say Eastern the same European. thing about America though. Yeah, 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 like, for sure, yeah. for sure. But uh but no, you're you're absolutely right. Like I said, man, like years ago I was like I might go to Kiev for fucking a a week on this vacation or yeah. whatever. And yes, like on the bank of the uh, the river there in, in Kiev, there's like this, you know, it's from the Soviet era, but it's like the World War II victory park or whatever. And it's got this like insane, huge statue of like the mother of victory or whatever she's called. And it's like, wow, like this is a fucking like... And weren't you saying that like place. Odessa was incredible? Odessa is like fucking beautiful. It's like old, it, it reminded me of like... Uh, like a like a Barcelona or Rome or something, you know. It's like on the Black Sea, like super great. Like well, what's cool about that too is like Odessa. You hear about that going back into like Greek mythology and Roman, you know, yeah, like Homer and things like that. Like talk about Odessa, like yeah. it's an ancient city. Yeah, it was absolutely beautiful. And, and Odessa was largely, I mean, they were taking some indirect fire and some missiles and stuff, but like largely untouched. It kind of had that like Lviv They were vibe. kind of on edge about a amphibious invasion, right? Yeah, they were for a while. That's like kind of why we went down there. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it's like, for us, the we were like, after a few days, we're like, we are not going to get access to anything that's going on. The only way for us to get like really good access is to get caught in something. Mm-hmm. So then we were just like yeah. looking like, okay. And this was around the time where they were like, hey, maybe there's going to be an amphibious assault on Odessa. So we're like, let's go. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we'll get caught in the back, caught behind the, the lines or whatever. Um, so that's why I went, but then it just kind of died off. I think they, you know, they were getting really bogged down in Kherson right by Mikhlyev and then they mm-hmm. ended up getting pushed back out of it. I think they retook Kherson here recently. That's where that, uh, is that where that, there's that video of them raising the Soviet flag? So, oh, I didn't see that. Oh, oh he, really? Yeah. I've seen yeah. videos of tanks flying the Soviet flag. No, I, but I don't, Jamie, look that up. Um, I think <laughs> it was, uh, it was Kherson or Kharkiv. They've like taken it and they had this huge, like the Russians had the this huge. and hammer. Formation and they yeah. they raise whatever battalion it was that like or regiment that took this city. They have the same flag they had that they raised over Berlin in World War Two. No shit. Yeah, the same flag. The same flag. Yeah, it's wow. the same flag. But it has a bunch of stuff like embroidered on it now for like commemoration. But it's like part of the unit's history, and they raised it uh, 
over the city. So it's a no shit hammer and sickle fucking Soviet yeah. flag, not I've Russian I've seen flag. videos of Russian tanks and BMPs flying a Soviet flag uh, through there. It's, again, it's like they may not be saying it. Like that's definitely the vibe that Russia's putting off is they want to reestablish the former oh. glory of the Soviet Union. I mean, Union. Putin said it. So, yeah. yeah. I, so I don't know if you guys know this, but when I like, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, when I was really into Olympic weightlifting, I went to Russia for a weightlifting meet because uh, my coach was Russian and Russia wasn't super bad back then like they are now. But I went to Russia and when you talk to people in Russia back then, I don't know how it is now, but like people, even people who were like fairly well-educated, spoke good English, like they don't think they lost the Cold War, right? <laughs> when you talk to them, they're like, oh yeah, when like the Soviet Union like fucking imploded. Mm. Like you're Russia now, you're not the Soviet. And they're like, oh no, that was just better for us. And like, it was just like a, yeah. a you know, it was just a, New like, year, new me. Yeah. It was just a normal progression of how Russia becomes better. They were like, you know, those people were kind of leeching off us. We just, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, like the Soviet Union fucking imploded. Like you guys were fucking totally fucked. They're like, no, no, no. It's, it's just, you know, for the betterment of Russia. Like they don't think they lost the Cold War. They think that they... <laughs> like are just progressing with the world. So, you know, the, the, the vibe that like the Soviet union was like this bad thing to them. Like it's not there at all. They're like, yeah, that was great. I wouldn't mind that coming back. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's just a totally different way to think about it. It's, it's crazy that propaganda at that level exists in the 21st century. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it's, just, it, well, you've got generations of people stacked on top of each other under that type of rule and that's part mm -hmm. of them now to think that that's a good thing, right? Mother Russia, like it's mm -hmm. been beaten into them for so long that like it's not going to change anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah, and you talk to them about, you know, and you look at them and you talk about, they're like, oh, well, you guys this, and you guys like the things they think about the United States, like, you know, that like, it's just this, anarchy fucking state where like you can't even go to the store you get fucking killed you get shot like people well, will kill but, cut your head off like they like the those people who are fully enveloped in that like propaganda machine they think the united states is like the most unsafe place on like Earth. it's uh escape from la well yeah. escape from remember when during uh 2020 when we were talking about covering you know our coverage of the unrest and stuff that was happening there was a lot of reports from like hey China and Russia are using this as propaganda. They're making it seem like what's happening in downtown Portland or what's happening in downtown Minneapolis is everywhere in America. Yeah. Like like they're like they had people were convinced that these images they were seeing of buildings on fire was like America is on fire. It's like no, that's like it's like a block. It's like a block in one a city like yeah. yeah, those are some knuckleheads. Yeah. Some cotton-headed ninny muggins, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the you know and it, how you were talking about like, yeah, you know, like Russians aren't going to be landing on the beaches in Miami, right? Anytime soon. But there's the creep, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And that's what you got to look at. That's what you got to look out that's for. That's what and happened over the course of the last 15 years. Yes. This and didn't happen overnight. People, you know, a lot of people that want to talk about freedom, right? They're like, they're just not well-traveled people, right? Because they're like, you know, France is free. England's free. Like, eh, yes. Yes, like they're not being locked up for no reason as political prisoners. But 
they're not allowed to write whatever they want in the press. Let's talk to our friend Christian Craighead about his efforts to just publish his own memoir. Right. And that's so, in the fucking UK. Yeah. So like they're free-ish, right? Like we set the standard for that. And like that people think because, you know, people aren't being put in gulags that they're in these totally free places. Like, no, man, no. Like we're the only people who have that. Mm-hmm. And when you see that creep happen somewhere else, like in the Ukraine, you're like, oh, fuck, yeah, this is why we have to have this. This is why we need every fucking freedom we have is so fucking necessary to impede that creep. Yeah, don't give an inch. I mean, you even see what happened in, in, in Canada, right? Like, I don't think anybody views Canada as any sort of third world country. Like, it's a pretty, you know, like with, with that trucker rally, like that, the, the things that they started to do to break that up, those were all things that would be like, easily ruled unconstitutional in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like extending long-term into this, it doesn't seem like Putin's going to like just let it go as what, was it yesterday when he kind of reattacked and is looking more They're into the They're reconsolidating in the East in the Donbass. I think that uh, if, we're, if we're guessing here, uh, I would assume that he's got to walk. There's two ways this shakes out. He walks away with something that he can sell to his people as a win, as some sort of, some version of a win, right? Um, or there's some sort of internal coup there that removes him from power. Yeah. And that's where the, a lot of these sanctions and making, Putin is easily the, the most powerful person in Russia. He's not the only powerful person in Russia. And if you get enough of the other powerful people really uncomfortable, like we've been doing, right? Mm-hmm. There's like a real legitimate concern that maybe. You know, he he has reason to be worried, is what I would say. But um, I think that this was both what's going on in the east of Ukraine right now in the Donbass and and trying to retake that. I think in his mind is if he can take that, if he can take Mariupol, a port port city down there, he can frame this as like, hey, we've got greater access to the Black Sea. We've got the Black Sea, right? Yeah. Okay. Sometimes I get that and the other. um, I think. Yeah. You know, we've got greater access there. We we took more ethnic Russians in in the east. You know, that's why the the way they try to frame that. Um, you know, he could then potentially remove his forces from the rest of Ukraine, have taken a little bit more of Ukraine, and say, "Hey, we did what we came to do." You know, and yeah. hey, look, there's no more Nazis there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, like the whole like Nazi thing, and like their president is Jewish. Like, probably not a Nazi country. You know. Yeah. But yeah, I. I 120% agree. Like Putin has been in his like mountain lair for since this started because he's so freaked out about a coup or something like that. And, you know, you have us freezing the assets of all these oligarchs and, and just super loaded Russians who, yeah, they, if they, a couple of them pool their power, then maybe they could get something done to, to yeah. pluck him from, because it's, it's doing nothing for the Russian people. Absolutely nothing. This is purely like ego driven by Putin. And And because Russians are just so comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like, yeah, this is just what we, it's our civic duty to be uncomfortable. It's just what Mother Russia does. Yeah. 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 It's like they see it as their civic duty to just kind of, there's a little bit of suffering required to be a Russian. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just is what it is. Yeah. But I, I, I also agree with you, like at the, the strategic level, I think right now he's just looking for what can bring him a victory in the mm-hmm. special military operation, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that will probably be Mariupol. I, or he might keep on trucking and try and take all the ports. I don't know. But 
I kind of see it as at least the lines at least solidifying by like end of summer. That's my guess. They can't go through another winter there. Yeah. They, they, I mean, they started into this right as things were starting to thaw. Yeah. They couldn't do a winter war at this point. They don't have the equipment, the supplies. It's too hard to move. Like it's, yeah. it's got to firm up by the end of the summer for sure. Stay. You going to go back? Anybody going to go back anytime soon? Any plans? It would have to be like Jericho was talking about. It kind of went from being uh, like permissible to semi-permissible to borderline non-permissible environment to report in. And so you think about it, it's just like, even just from a, you know, we've got Nolan on the ground there, right? Like we've got one guy still on the ground that's still putting out reports. And so we've right. got that presence. For us to go back with more people again and bulk up that presence, it's got to be, for, uh, you know, we got to know that we'd actually be able to go over there and, and do something there that we can't do from here. Yeah. Know? And, you know, on the way over, like I had such kind of high, like there were people, I was talking to people that were in units were like, yeah, come out, you can embed and you can do all this. And it's like nothing. So yeah, totally mm-hmm. non-permissive environment as far as being a journalist. Um, so yeah, it's, it's. And this is a consideration, by the way, for other people that think that they want to go to Ukraine. This isn't something that you just show up and like even finding a place to lay your head down at night is difficult. Yeah. Like very difficult. You have to have a fix, like getting through those checkpoints without a fixer as a non-Ukrainian, non-Russian speaker, you're asking for a bad time. You're asking for a really bad time. Not having a press credential you're asking for a bad time. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually glad you brought that up. Like talking to the Ukrainians that I knew that were in, you know, legit Ukrainian soldiers. And like, you're like, hey, are you, you know, all these Americans that are coming, what are they doing? And they're like, Pfft. like, that's the, that's the reaction I got about Americans coming to fight. We're like, mm-hmm. to a man. Like, they're like, if they were here before, like after the 2014 thing started, like a lot of Westerners went there to yeah. fight. And they're like, yes to them. But if you're just some dude who was, got out of the army 10 years ago and you're like, I want to go fight in Ukraine, you're going to go there. You're A, you're going to get turned away because they're still turning away Ukrainians, right? Like not every Ukrainian male is in the army, right? They're doing like territorial defense shit, which is basically like manning checkpoints, right? So if you're a foreigner that doesn't have a very, very, very specific and marketable skill, like... You used to work as a javelin trainer or you're an air defense artillery expert or a drone guy. If you don't have some very specific good skill, they do not want you. And if if you are that guy and you, you're like, I don't care, you can't stop me, which I heard from a couple of people like, I just got to get there and fight. Like, all right, dude, let's say when you were in Iraq, some guy showed up who didn't speak your language and hasn't been proficient in their skill level one tasks in 10 years and they show up and they're like, I'm here to fight with you. (laughs) What would you say? You'd be like, cool. Go take out the trash. Go fucking dig holes and fill sandbags. Go paint rocks. And that's what they're doing, right? And a lot of them like are just, you know, like deserting as well. Like some Westerners are deserting, which makes it, one yep. of those things that makes it hard to like, I got, when I crossed the border, I got scrutinized fucking hard because they thought maybe I was some deserter, like Westerner mm-hmm. that came to fight and then deserted. So yeah, the the whole like 
romantic notion that you're going to go there and you're going to get plopped down onto the line and just start plinking Ivan from, you know, your <laughs> trench. Like it ain't happening, man. It ain't going to happen. Yeah. Well, y'all, thanks for recapping. Um, again, check out that Coffee or Die magazine. Go get one of these. It's a great story that Nolan put together. Um, pick up that and uh, go back, watch, go, go to the Coffee or Die YouTube page, watch the coverage that we did prior to the invasion, check out some of the dispatches that Jericho, uh, Nolan, and I put together uh, while we were there. Um, we continue, even though it's kind of fallen a little bit out of favor in the news cycle, we continue to cover it. Um, if you're interested in what's currently going on there. And uh, yeah, this is um, this is something that I think is, you know, we've got uh, tens of thousands of Americans in NATO countries bordering Ukraine right now. It's not us fighting there right now. Uh, the closest shot I think we've had was, like I said, about 10 kilometers away. We had that, that, that was, uh, you know, one fucking digit off on that eight digit grid they punched in for the, that rocket attack, that missile attack from this being a shooting war for America, you know, like, yeah, it's a, so it's one of those things where like, hopefully, hopefully that doesn't happen. I don't think it will happen. You're kind of an idiot if you're not keeping tabs on things just in case it does happen. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. That creep can turn into a sprint pretty quick. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy!